Welcome everybody to Reimagine Insurance. This is a podcast that focuses on the trends and disruptions and strategies that are reshaping the insurance industry today. And each of these episodes features different experts on leading topics that we think are important to the way we reimagine insurance. I'm your host today, Kurt Strovink, and I'll be leading a conversation with a number of our colleagues to touch on climate change which we think is an important area for the future of insurance and where insurers can play a leading role in shaping the future of this response for multiple industries. I am pleased to welcome three of McKinsey's experts to shed light on this topic as part of our conversation. Antonio Grimaldi is a partner out of our London office. Kia Javan-Mardian, partner and leader of our North American PNC practice, who is from the Chicago office. And Dickon Pinner is a senior partner and, and global leader of our sustainability practice at McKinsey. I propose we have this conversation, if we could, in two broad parts. The first would be around the nature of the risks that we're seeing in the climate space. The second part would be to really talk about what the insurance industry can as a category do. So maybe we can begin with you, Dick. And, you know, you talk to senior executives around the world uh, frequently across different industries. I wonder if you could just give us a sense of the systemic risks overall that you see climate change posing at this point to business more generally. We can start there. Happy to. We've spent a lot of time now looking at both the physical risk and transition risk posed by climate change. The physical one in particular is, I think, underappreciated in terms of how near-term it is, how non-linear some of the impacts are, and also, as we know, the impacts will be systemic and uh, potentially highly regressive. As we talk to executives, I think I've seen a big switch between the real economy and the capital markets. I would say five years ago, the energy sector, automotive sector were ahead in terms of thinking about this. I would say that has changed markedly in the last 12 to 24 months. If you pull back the cover on capital markets and you look across banking, asset management, insurance, the, the lead dog within that has been the banking sector. And I think that has been driven uh, initially by regulation coming out of Europe, particularly the Bank of England, that has made the case that climate change represents an existential threat to the financial system. We're also seeing on the private equity side, but probably more around opportunity. People are very interested in how to invest and put new money to work into the, the kind of new green economy. Um, and we're beginning to see that reflected in, in valuations. And then insurance within that, it plays a critical role in terms of transferring and mitigating risk within the capital markets is probably a little bit more behind, say, the banking, banking sector. And I'm sure we'll get into that into a little bit more detail. Thank you, Dickon, for that. Kia, you can comment a little bit to the point on insurance and sort of where our industry is today. What are some of the trends? Maybe how are insurance executives, in your mind, thinking about this differently now from what they might have a couple of years ago? The shift has not been at the same pace, depending on what segment you're in. The brokers and reinsurers are a bit ahead of the broader pack for understandable reasons, primarily, as, as Dickon alluded to. A lot of the models historically won't be predictive of the future. And so when you think about the role reinsurance brokerage and reinsurers play on that, it's very, very critical to their business model to have a grasp on that. You know, when you look at the primary line carriers, it's been a bit of a tale of two cities. So in the U.S., those with a heavy presence in California, climate change has come. And they're seeing it with wildfires year over year. 
And they're feeling it acutely because the indications of the rate they need is far greater than what they're able to take in the state, as an example. You're seeing a sub-segment really, really feel that and thinking through how do I diversify? How do I think about prevention, mitigation? The broader industry on the primary line, I think, acknowledges it. There's a bit of difference in opinion on, can I just price this in over time versus do I need to make a more proactive stance? And I think the jury's a bit out in terms of where the industry's leading on, on that dimension. Let's talk a little bit more in a detailed way just about the kind of reactions that we're seeing across the insurance industry. Antonio, obviously this has happened in a number of different ways, but I'm wondering if you could comment on some of the functional areas where you see some innovation uh, beginning to happen, like underwriting, for example. Insurers have started moving in the right directions, but um, I think much more can and should be done. For example, we see insurers working with customers on adapting to climate change. That means increasing resilience of their infrastructures, facilities, or supply chains. Much more should be done because climate change simply means that many of the technical insurance capabilities will need to evolve. Underwriting is a fascinating example. So in the space of underwriting, clearly new hazards will emerge, uh, requiring new products, new underwriting solutions, traditional charter models, and more broadly, Past lost experience will not be predictive of the future, and that needs to be corrected. Aggregations will change, requiring new techniques for portfolio management. And there will be more nonlinear effects at play. Uh, For example, what is the correlation between more frequent floods and the economic activity in a given region, making the work of underwriters even more complex? In a way, underwriting will need to become even more strategic. Kia, what about the investment side, investment strategies? What kind of evolution are we seeing there or changes in the uh, insurance response? One is literally their investment portfolio on the asset side of the balance sheet. Um, We're starting to see a bit of thinking in terms of what they're willing to put money behind, partly reputationally, partly as an ESG measure. So seeing some movement there, I think it is more pronounced in Europe uh, than in the U.S., given kind of the regulatory environment. On the broader investment question, we're seeing three major themes. One, as Antonio mentioned, getting greater sophistication on underwriting. Tranche two is a refresh in terms of what markets do we want to double down and plan. So if you look at our portfolio, where do we feel more vulnerable uh, if you were to play some scenarios out in the future? And does that have an implication of how we want to rebalance that portfolio accordingly? And then the third is, How do insurers play beyond risk transfer? There's a couple of very prominent examples of carriers that are in the risk transfer business, but equally, if not more so, in the risk mitigation business, preventing things from happening. We're seeing a lot more dialogue on that, and we think it's a question of broadening the relevance of the industry beyond just pricing and transferring risk but actually changing outcomes, whether it's at the front end or when bad things do happen, what's the way to get recovery quickly and as seamlessly as possible? You know, the the other one that does give us hope is the private-public partnership angle. What is that intersection between how carriers work with municipalities, regulators, policymakers to create a sustainable model? 
Maybe on that point that Kia just mentioned, Dick, and just any perspectives you'd offer, not just from an insurance perspective, but more broadly about the climate and intent of regulators in this space in the next year, two, three years? I think that there is a an ever-increasing drive towards transparency and disclosure. Because things are changing, it sounds so trite at first, but because the climate is changing, the your, your previous estimation of your risk exposure is probably wrong. And right now what we're seeing, and I think some of this comes up from the regulation of the Bank of England initially, but through the TCFD, which asks for disclosure uh, of transition risk, which actually is quite easy to calculate, we're beginning to see that transition risk as a result of that is quite well priced in. Physical risk, by contrast, is actually very hard to price in because the translation from hazard to exposure to damage and the manifestation of that in cash flows is just hard to model. And it actually requires quite a bit of uh, judgment uh, in terms of the second, third and fourth orders. There will be a kind of ongoing push for, for transparency from the regulator. You know, we may also see in the case of transition risk, and I get to the, back to the point that Kia mentioned, is at the moment we are in a world where risk is just increasing day over day because more carbon is going into the system. So just transferring that risk is insufficient. In fact, at, at a macro scale, this is about massive capital allocation and reallocation. So thinking through the price signals that the insurers can send to divert capital that currently is going into risky assets that further promote risky behavior, to burn down that risk versus just transfer it is actually critical because the rising tide of, of risk means that transferring it doesn't solve the problem. There are some unfortunate examples where you can see why the regulators made the move that they have. If you're on the West Coast, I think there's some regulation that says, you know, the insurers could not drop insurance for coverage for a year and could not price on a forward-looking basis, but just on a historical basis. I think what that would mean is after that period is over, a lot of insurers will exit the state. That doesn't seem like an effective response, but these are inherently connected to political systems as well. But I think we do need some more price signals, either from the insurers themselves or the, the regulator, to help redirect that capital to a way that promotes the right behavior. I want to talk a bit more about the risks being quite different in different countries, obviously, here. We know that the, the tyranny of averages lies, but particularly here, there's a lot of difference across different regions of the, of the world, et cetera, and yet some common themes. But Antonio, I'm wondering if you could comment from a European perspective, how do you see the nature of the risks evolving and maybe by different, different regions, even within Europe? Europe seems to be mostly affected by heat and drought. The five hottest years ever recorded in history were the last five years. Uh, in 2018 and 19, actually, Europe experienced two consecutive summers of severe drought. This was unprecedented in the last 250 years. What I think is more concerning, though, is that in common insurance terms, we would have called these events one in 250 years uh, events. But the change in nature of climate risk means that the likelihood of these events actually repeating in Central Europe over the, the next 50 years will increase sevenfold. And this is really make us all think uh, how important us addressing climate change is. 
clearly in different parts of Europe are exposed differently. We're talking about, you know, flood in the UK, winds in Italy. We observe that insurers have increasingly become more aware of the problem that lies ahead. Europe particularly, we have some of the most sophisticated global specialty insurers and reinsurers. This insurance needs to lead the way in terms of uh, how we tackle uh, climate risk. Many of the largest European insurance groups actually are making fighting climate change a core part of their ESG strategies. And finally, regulators, particularly in the UK, are building greater awareness and are facilitating the announcement of these capabilities. Earlier this year, for example, the Bank of England was very clear that uh, there was a gap in capabilities and it requested firms and insurers to act. This means really taking a more strategic approach to climate risk. This means conducting assessments on the physical side and the transition side, but also considering different scenarios and running stress testing on their books to understanding the impact. Taking a different spin to what Deacon said earlier, I would say that insurers, to some extent, are particularly familiar with natural events and physical risk. But actually, transition risk might be a blind spot for them. And therefore, uh, building capabilities in understanding the implication of transition risk, both on the asset sides and on, and on the liability sides, would be also as important. I would um, maybe just, just add on this topic of transition risk. Because uh, clearly physical risk is a huge issue in closing the protection gap. But on the transition risk, if I step back and think through the macro problem, it's actually about how do you transition the installed base of the economy, which is today by definition high carbon. So how do you transition it in an orderly fashion from brown to greener to green? As I mentioned earlier, the good news is that transition risk is beginning to get priced in. The bad news, to some extent, is that transition risk is getting priced in. And there might be, the pendulum might swing so much such that it may be difficult from an embarrassment reason on the part of a reputation reason or to get insurance for these fossil-based assets as they transition from brown to green. That would be a challenge because you don't want those assets that are currently in the public eye to go private, for example, and into a kind of opaque environment. I think there need to be mechanisms to allow insurers to continue to ensure the real economy of good actors who are trying to transition and not just abandon some of the assets that are going through that transition. Or I think that will will lead to further socioeconomic dislocation and, and a more disorderly approach and rapid repricing. I want to add a, a dimension to this, maybe just following on your last point there, Dickon. Are there examples in other industries that you think would be either provocative or suggestive for executives who are thinking about transition in the way that you're describing it? And where is the, the debate and dialogue? So one of the things we're seeing in other industries is we're seeing the industry self-convene. We see it, and particularly the ones who have perhaps known that transition was going to be a bigger problem to them. So you know, the oil and gas sector, the power sector, many of the different industries, and they self-convene to try and understand, you know, where they can collaborate, where they need to define standards, what role the regulators should play. And I think we're even beginning to see that now in the banking sector, and they're trying to understand on the topic of climate, uh, which areas of data, for example, should be commonly shared across banks, versus become a sort of source of competitive advantage. We're also seeing in, say, asset manager, you see 
lots of groups associated with becoming net zero investors. And so you've got trillions of dollars of assets under management saying, if this is the direction of travel, what does it look like to get from A to B? We're beginning to see the same thing in banking. Again, given the critical role that insurance plays in providing those signals to direct and redirect capital, that might be another interesting thing to, to consider if it doesn't already exist. Let me also uh, raise another angle to this problem. Obviously, this is one that has many different facets. What about the concept of the demand from different stakeholders, whether they're employees, customers, other partners around making climate change progress in, in various ways? I'm thinking here about the E and ESG and the degree to which for the next generation, many employees want to work for firms that are, that are doing something in this space that's, that's innovative, et cetera. How, how much do we think this will be an, uh, an increasing requirement or ask or proposition uh, for firms that get out in front of this for their own employees and, and for stakeholders more generally and you know, with partners that wh- whom they uh, collaborate? Any perspectives on that? Just across industries, we see, a, a, in general, a kind of multi-stakeholder approach kind of taking grip now. So across the shareholders, the regulator, the customer, the employer, I think on the employee side, we're definitely seeing this across industries as becoming part of the war for talent. But I'll, I'll let uh, others comment specifically in this sector. In Europe, as an increasing topic, several uh, insurers are increasingly thinking about ESG and, and how can they become responsible underwriters? How can they become responsible investors? And what, are, what is the obligation that the industry has with regards to employees and shareholders, but actually to the world in itself? So I think this is actually, uh, in my mind, one of the very interesting angles that the industry could uh, utilize in order to overcome some of the short-termism that the industry might have given the annual policy cycle. Yeah, and Antonio, on that, I think one of the angles we've been talking to executives about is how can you use the notion of climate change and the role of the industry in affecting that as a source of inspiration and meaning for employees today, but also new sources of talent? You know, what that could mean to the new generation of talent and how you can re- reframe. We're not an insurance company. We're here to protect livelihoods. We're here to protect the economy. We're here to f- protect the earth. And we're not just risk transferring. We're convening and doing something that is going to move the needle because we control capital. Like there is, there is likely an angle there that is, has not fully been realized that does as, as a practice give us inspiration and, and kind of energy. Who are the actors in the companies that we think we're talking to in this conversation, right? Who are the executives? What roles do they play? How, how broadly across the senior team is this is an area of concern? And who are the folks that should be having these discussions and dialogues, do we think, over the next uh, 12 to 24 months and in greater and greater ways? We think if the CEO is not involved in the conversation, it's probably not this conversation. And the reason we say that is this is fundamental role of carriers, how they add value to clients, where they play, how they allocate capital. So you look at that at a headline view, and it is very much a corporate strategy and kind of direction of travel for a company. The ESG angle, while very, very important, is just a part of this. When you really peel it back, this conversation should be an existential one of where are we going to thrive? How are we going to add value and 
what do we have to do to shift where we deliver for our clients? Yeah, I mean, I get back to Kia's point. To address this problem, it's about capital allocation and reallocation. And so by definition, this is a, a CEO level topic. I mean, specifically in the banking sector, in Europe, it's through the CRO, the chief risk officer. But it's increasingly becoming a commercial opportunity to you know, deploy new sustainable infrastructure, etc. So there's a big commercial lens to this. In the, in the energy sectors, this goes straight through, straight through the businesses. Sector by sector, we typically see one or two companies with a sort of outsized voice and the CEOs who really get it leaning forward and trying to define the future path for the industry because they know, one, the industry or the sector is a threat if they do nothing, and two, they realize there's a competitive advantage if they get ahead of it. So I think this is a a top-team issue, and if it's not being dealt with at that level, it's hard to get the right level of action and activity around such an important theme. I fully agree this is a top-team discussion. I also want to call out very explicitly the fact that the implications are very profound throughout all the levels of an insurer. It is very hard to identify a function within insurance which is not affected by climate risk. We talked extensively about underwriting, pricing, claims, you know, needs to evolve from uh, paying financially, compensating financially to actually rebuilding and further building resilience and risk mitigation to capital management, reserving actuarial propositions for employees. It is a, a profound change for the whole industry. What do we think about collaboration opportunities more broadly as insurance executives work maybe even with a public sector in these areas that are going to be increasingly important? Uh, what's the outlook on that? If I'm a, an insurance executive that's looking at this in a, you know, an innovative way, what kinds of collaboration should I expect to see or, or shape even with the public sector as part of this? Kia, do you have a perspective on that? The opportunity is there for the taking. Given the nature of this, this is systemic risk we're talking about. It is not carrier specific. And so we absolutely think there is a conversation to be had where executives at you know, insurance companies are working in partnership with one another and public sector to think through what is the future policy that will help shape how risk is built up. Just a simple example of building codes, where and how to build for resiliency so we don't keep falling into the same trap is a massive opportunity for the industry and one that will require cooperation. The second part of it is it's one of relevance, right? So if you look at the total risks in the world and the percentage that insurance covers, it has been on a steep decline. You think about cyber, you think about a lot of these long tail hard to underwrite risks. And so it's not just one of upside, it's one of ensuring the value and relevance of the industry, which will require some some cooperation. In terms of public-private partnership, this can be quite deep. You know, clearly there are some risk transfer solutions. So, you know, for example, in the UK, there is FloodRe and you know, the government in the US has been working for many years on Florida flood protection. But this can be done more systematically across all climate-exposed countries, especially in the emerging markets. I think this is an opportunity that some insurers are looking at, first and foremost. And secondly, there is a risk mitigation opportunity. So we could envisage uh, insurers driving resilience in uh, climate-vulnerable countries, uh, working with governments and local authorities on uh, 
where assets should be developed and where assets should not be developed, how dwelling should be designed and with what standards. There are a number of different solutions where the industry could collaborate actively with governments to remove uh, risk from the equation as opposed to transferring it. Dickin, maybe you could just share kind of a last word on this as we think about public partnerships of various kinds. I think the general framing that the risk in the system is just going up over time and will continue to go up. If you don't have a successful or a, a good collaboration between the sort of private sector insurance and the public sector, there are two set of folks who hold the risk. It's the consumer and the government. I think understanding what actions can happen by virtue of sort of public-private partnership to not be those two stakeholders that end up holding the risk would be very, very beneficial. You've got the the physical risk gap. We've also got the, the, the transition piece. And then the third one, which was alluded to earlier, is the disaster response. Is there a way to pre-fund some of those such that the poorest areas of the world where lots of this physical risk often manifests itself don't then have to go around cap in hand post an event. Even uh, days or weeks notice of an upcoming event, you can make a material difference if you can prepare for it. But that, that does require a public-private partnership. So big role to play on such a complicated, uh, complicated topic. Well, I think we'll leave it there. Dickon, Kia, Antonio, thank you very much for joining us as part of this Reimagine Insurance series. I know you're available for any follow-up questions that our listeners may have on these topics. This is an area that has multiple aspects to it, but is a very important one for innovation for the category, maybe one we have a rightful role as an insurance category in. If we think about the signals, the capital reallocation that's coming, um, some of the points of view, the relevance of the industry, as Kia mentioned. And if we think about that this is a preeminent concern for many, many people inside of insurance companies today at all levels and functional roles, as Antonio pointed out. Thank you for joining us today. We will look forward to following up with you in future sessions on Reimagine Insurance. Please do tune in. Thank you.